Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Hoffpower. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of the Dear Doc Podcast, episode number 20. Uh, this morning, I am going to be interviewing somebody who I know pretty well, Eric Miller. He is actually my financial advisor, and he's put together a little bit of a presentation to help us to know what we can do in these kind of crazy times. He's also going to give his opinion on some of the, uh, some of the stimulus packages or, or the portions of the stimulus packages that are out there for you guys. I hope that you, um, you come with some questions because Eric is just excited to answer them. So Eric, without any further ado, would you, uh, would you mind doing me a favor? Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and that way they can kind of, uh, they can kind of know what it is you do. Yeah, 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 no problem. So uh, again, my name is Eric Miller. Uh, I am the chief advisor of Econologics Financial Advisors. Uh, we are uh, what's considered a registered investment advisor. Uh, so we are financial planners and uh, we work specifically though with private practice owners, uh, predominantly dentists, chiropractors, physical therapists in the, in the healthcare space. And uh, what we do is, um, I think, a little different because, you know, we're trying to show practice owners how to run their household finances like a business. That's, that's really what differentiates us from, I think, the, the average financial advisor. Um, and so we teach them how to really be a good household chief financial officer for their household. And then we show them how to set up systems from their business so that money can flow to their household to help them, you know, pay off their debt, uh, invest money properly, uh, protect their assets from any kind of loss, minimize their taxes. So we really show practice owners how to integrate the practice uh, and, and, and have that benefit their household as, as opposed to the other way around. And, and Eric, I will, I will go on record as saying, you, you know my finances. You know exactly where we are, where we are Amanda and I. And thank you. Yeah. Uh, because we are in such a good financial position during this time. And I, I owe much of that to you guys and, you know, in, in, in your advice. And, and guys, full disclosure, there can only be one CFO. My wife is the boss. When it comes to our household, I bring She's in money. She brings in money. She takes all my money. Actually, I get a small allowance, Eric. Is that, is that, am I supposed to get a small allowance? Because I do. Hey, yeah, you should get something, man. Look at what you're doing right now. You're, you're communicating to so many practice owners that need the help. But yeah, you guys have done a really wonderful job. And again, you know, it's not necessarily, I mean, we show people the system. You know, I, I, we teach people really, really good financial habits. We make sure that their attitude towards money is correct. We give them, you know, what I think the silver bullet financial actions would be. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you have to, you have to implement them. And you guys have done that really, really well. Well, I, you know, I, like I said, I owe it all to her. She is absolutely amazing. I, I can make as much money as I want, but you know, my, my normal nature is to spend money and hers is to hard money, which is why she is our CFO. And she that, is the that's a good balance right there. But um, anyway, um, all, all that aside, credit where credit is due. I understand you've got a, a presentation you'd like to show us today. Now, guys, this is not a sales pitch. Uh, in yep. fact, um, I spoke to Eric and it was a big ask because I'll tell you that the correct financial, the correct philosophy toward money is that your time here on earth is being traded 
for something and it should be something of value. And so if you're offering your knowledge and your expertise, you should get value from it. And I've had a big ask of Eric uh, in that I asked him to please uh, offer free consultations to anyone who's really having a, a hard time and they've agreed to do that. And that's just something that Econologics doesn't do uh, because, you know, like me, they like to get paid. Yeah, <laughs> I so think everybody Eric, does. Yours, my friend. Okay, let me see if uh, I can get this to, to work. Um, and uh, okay, that, that, that shows up. Okay, great. So here we go. Okay. Well, you know, we called this um, the wake up call because it, it really is a wake up call. I think for the last 12 years, people have been, you know, in a, in a condition to think that everything's kind of normal and okay. And I'm going to get into that a little bit, but, um, you know, I think I gave my background enough. You know, we, we, we specialize in working with practice owners. I've had over 10,000 conversations in working with business owners. And it seems like I've packaged almost all those 10,000 conversations in the last three days, man. I mean, it's, I mean, been, it's, it's been a whirlwind. So, um, look, I think the best word that we can describe what's happening right now for most practice owners uh, is, is the term confusion. Right. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the, the amount of uncertainty that you have right now, the amount of I don't knows, I don't know when my practice is going to be open. I don't know, you know, if I'm going to have a full load of patients. I don't know what the environment's going to look like. I don't know what my employees are thinking. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And when you start mounting up all of these I don't knows, it, it really does create a scenario where, and you can see it, right, where you start feeling like, anxious, worried, um, hysterical, I mean, in some, in some cases. And that's, that's the first thing that, that I try to coach people on is that whatever you have to do, we have to get out of this confusion, this uncertainty, right. because right now your sanity is the most valuable asset that you have. And you have to make sure that you are certain. So, you know, how do you apply that for a business owner? Um, well, you just have to make sure that you, from a financial perspective, okay, uh, you have to know where all of your, your assets are, uh, know what, what uh, debts that you owe at this point in time, know your bills, know your expenses, know where your income's coming from, uh, so that you can, you can navigate this situation, know where your credit lines are. Uh, so you have to navigate this situation, but that's, that's really the first thing that I, that I coach people on is just let's get out of this uncertainty and let's create some certainty. And, you know, once you do that, I think, you know, you can at least take the next step, um, you know, which is confronting what you're going to have to do with your practice. Absolutely. So, yeah, again, so right now, certainty is sanity. And, you know, when you start looking at it from that perspective, because I know a lot of dentists right now are pretty much shut down. Um, I don't think that, yeah, they're, open, they're open only they, for emergencies. And then uh, some of the guidance there has been a bit confusing and conflicting on a state by state level, too. So there's. Again, like you said, a lot of uncertainty out there. Yeah, and, and there is that. And I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're a doctor and you have to do the right thing, right? So if someone needs help, if someone needs treatment, you have to make sure that, that you do the right thing. But definitely know like what your payroll is right now every month. Uh, these are all things that you have to really uh, confront. You know, a lot of dentists are practitioners. You know, they may not get on the business side. They may not get on the finance side. So you know, this is an area, unfortunately, you're going to have to confront right now, to me, 
uh, and knowing this from how we train um, our, our clients, you know, you have three roles in the business. You have your practitioner role, you have your executive role, and then you have your owner role. And, and, and right now, you know, most people aren't practicing, um, but you are still an owner. And your job as an owner is to make sure that that organization can stay there in any way, shape, or form. You have to make sure that you keep the form of the organization there. And that's, that's, that really has made a lot of people have to confront, you know, doing things that they haven't had to do for the last 12 years or 15 years because of that. But that really is the first responsibility that an owner has. And, and you really have to make sure you keep your wits around you and, and um, you know, get rid of any uncertainties that you have. The other thing that, um, you know, where, where should your attention be focused on right now? Uh, I, I know a lot of people have said don't panic, but I think it, a really key to this too is because so much information is coming so fast and is changing from week to week. I wouldn't start looking like six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks in the future. I think that's too far just because there's not enough data to like make decisions on. I would be looking at just the next week or two and planning, you know, your activities towards that. Right. And, you know, if you do that, I think it's number one, you're, you're, you'll have a battle plan in front of you of like, these are the things I need to do for this week. Okay. I'm not thinking about next week. I'm not thinking about, you know, what would happen if, if this is, this is extended to another month or two. I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking about what happens over the course of the next one to two weeks. I you think know, that's that, kind of a critical thing. That's, that's a very, again, very counterintuitive thing for uh, yep. Dennis because we are long-term strategic planners. And so your, your advice is to kind of take a step back from our own nature and to look at the here and now, deal with it so we don't get interbulated and overwhelmed. If I, I think that's a good word right there. Yeah, because, you know, you can, this is what happens when people get confused. You know, uncertainty breeds bad decision-making. And when you are confused, typically what happens, I mean, think about all the times in your life where you've had some confusions or you've had some uncertainties. I mean, nine times out of 10, the next action that you did wasn't the smart one. And so when it, when it comes to your finances, this is an area that's way too important for you to be confused about or to start feeling like, you know, grief or anxiety or fear or, or any of these things. You really have to, this is an exercise in just how good of a leader you're going to be. You know, how well can you keep, you got to give yourself a checkup from the neck up on this one and just make sure that, that your, your headspace is in a good, is in a good place to lead the organization from there. Well, that makes um, I think, you know, again, making sure that you're, you're making decisions on actual verified data and validity. And this is key because, you know, where do most people get their information from? They're going to get it from the news media. And I'm not, necessarily thinking that's the best place to get it. So I, I would stay in communication with your colleagues and your associations as far as getting really, really good data. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And, and I think that you mean Facebook that's... Facebook is not necessarily a... Um, a, a or, or Twitter, they're, they're not actually good sources of information? Except this podcast, my man. <laughs> All right? Well, you know, Except we, we actually, this. We're, we're pretty stringent on vetting our information that comes into the in the group, we're, yeah. we're cognizant of the fact that there's so much stuff out there that gets out unvetted. But so, well, I'm sure you know we're gonna, we'll talk about that new stimulus bill that just came out, and absolutely. you know, it's it's 1,400 pages. It just came out the other day, 
And, you know, that'll be something that, uh, that we'll, we'll definitely address, you know, should you or shouldn't you in terms of like what you can access and what you should access. And I'll have my viewpoint on that. Um, but um, I guess we can continue on uh, at this point. And then another thing too, as far as like, um, when it comes to the business, now I'm gonna go down maybe a little bit of a rabbit hole on this one right now, because I know a lot of practice owners are shut down. So you, I mean, you've had to likely furlough a lot of the employees. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't think that you know, a lot of uh, practice owners are gonna be able to carry employees for this extended period of time. Right. And nor do I think you necessarily should just because you're not seeing any patients and you know, practice is, is, is based upon patient visits. I mean, that's your lifeblood of your organization. And uh, you know, you can't, you can't carry the organization because you know, most, most practice owners don't have like six months of reserves to be able to, to carry the load like that. So again, your job as a, as an owner is just to make sure that you are keeping the organization there. So I'm, I'm definitely advising people you know, do what you need to do, see the amount of patients that you actually can see so that you can, on a skeleton crew, just so you can keep the organization there and flowing, right, and, and uh, in some kind of a flow of where you're delivering some service. And that means that you're going to have to take a look at, like, what would be the minimum amount of, of patients that you would be able to see during that, that week where you could at least pay your basic expenses, your rent, your utilities, you know, maybe loans that you have, like what, what would be that number? And again, this is where I would get in touch with like associations or colleagues, because I know in other industries, you know, there's, there's spreadsheets that you can use to say, Hey, if we see this many patients at this average transaction, you know, we can at least keep our lights on and, and not have to, you know, worry about bankruptcy, but, you know, and, and but you have to act fast too, because, uh, you know, patient visits are dropping off you know, pretty rapidly. I mean, in your industry, they went from like 100% to zero. And, you know, you have all these expenses. I mean, you really have to act fast when it comes to furloughing people. And I know that sucks. And I know that, you know, no one wants to make that, that decision. But look, the, the organization being there is way more important. And, and people, people have to have something to come back to. Absolutely. And, and one, of the, one of the points that you guys make um, is that if the business itself doesn't survive, there are no jobs. Nope. So the health of the business has to come before the health of anyone else in the practice because that's, that's right. You know, that, that's, that's what we're trying to nourish here. Yeah. The, the greatest, the greatest good is to make sure that the organization stays there because you think about how many patients that a, you know, a, a practitioner sees over the course of a year and how many people they help over that time frame. It's, Absolutely. it's massive. And it's, it's the responsibility of the owner to make sure that that can continue to happen even after this, this, uh, this crisis subsides and the recovery happens. Um, so the next thing too, of course, uh, is, and I think we talked about this, and it's really key, you, you, just, you just have to make sure that you keep your attitude in, in a positive way as best that you can. And it's interesting because, you know, I study history and uh, it was actually my major in college. And, you know, no, no great movement or organization has ever made really significant strides when everything is hunky-dory and rich and prosperous. It's been in times of distress, economic distress, depressions, that you see organizations make their biggest stride, okay, or movements make their biggest stride. Right. And I think this is a really good opportunity 
for a lot of practice owners, as long as they uh, keep their attitude correct and really start promoting what they do right now in, in a high volume, that you can really show your community just how awesome that you are. And you can make a significant stride in, in getting people, you know, to look at you as, you know, a source of goodwill and help. And that's what people are looking for right now. So if anything, I, I would not look at this and say, okay, we're going to shrink. We're going to stop sending out mailers. We're going to stop sending out promotion. We're going to stop all that. Like that would be the last thing I would do. I would actually get that amped up even more so that when you come back, you know, there's, there's a lot of inflow that comes in the organization. It's always, it's always easier to capitalize on a need that you've been generating than it, it, whenever you need to, than it is to create the need because there's a lag period. You know, whenever you yeah. begin doing advertising, there is a, you know, tweet two week to one month lag period, depending upon the media that you're using before it begins to work. And so, you know, what I'm hearing you say is, Hey, during this time as we're coming out of it, as we're beginning to ramp back up, get out there a month ahead of time and start doing advertising, making sure that people know you're still there and that you're waiting and ready to fulfill their needs. <clears throat> you know, the other thing that you say here, Eric, and, this is one of the reasons I, I love our, our conversations is that your, your opinions are so informed by history. And as you know, any kind of capitalist economy runs on a sine wave. And, it, it, you know, in, in our economy, we typically have between a nine and a 10 year um, sine wave where we hit peaks and then troughs between recessions and depressions. And, yep. and, that's, and all of these social programs are merely intended to attenuate the sign to bring things back to level. But the reason that capitalism is such an amazing motivating force for progress and for change is because of the fact that we have that cyclic recession. Because as you said, no huge movements are made without that, 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 that need, without being yep. to become uncomfortable and to get out of our own skins and to progress. And, and, and perhaps that's why we live in the, one of the greatest countries in the world. It, it's Definitely. because of this very problem that we're suffering from right now, which yeah. means that Think every about one of these recessions is an opportunity, people. A hundred percent. Think about like when there's a hurricane or something like that, it does clean off a lot of the dead wood, doesn't it? Definitely. And, uh, you know, I think that you're going to, you're going to see that and it does give practice owners an opportunity to kind of hit the reset button too on how they've been managing their money in the past. And Absolutely. that, that I think would be, and that's going to lead to another, uh, I do want to mention one thing too, because as this does recover, um, you are going to then start seeing patients again. But like, you know, like any, when, you're when you're trying to turn a big ship that got stopped, and my God, you know, we have a trillion, trillion dollar economy or however big it is. Right. And it's just like, it's just stopped. Like, and this is to your point in history. And, you know, we've, we're kind of the same age. So, I mean, you remember 2000, which was the tech bubble. Right. Exactly. You remember 2008, which was the, you know, the breakdown of the financial institutions or some of them. Right. Okay, great. That that certainly had an effect on the economy, but we've never experienced anything where the, like everything has just it's, shut it's down. I, I actually made a joke about this yesterday. It's like all the plagues from the Bible coming through at once. You yeah. Get it. And we have an economic crisis, right? Because we were already poised on a student loan bubble. And I don't know if a lot of people realize that, but if you follow unemployment, when unemployment is at its lowest, you're almost always in a bubble. Something's about to happen and it's not going to be good. So 
if you look back at that, the last time we had this exact economic trend was in 1969. 1970, we had a recession, but we had really high interest rates at that point. So we dropped mm -hmm. the interest rates. That stimulated economic growth because it cost people to borrow money and refinance things, and it caused movement in the economy. So right now, though, we had high employment, low interest rates. The only thing they could do is go negative. And they began researching that in September of, of, of 2019. Japan's already tried it. Sweden's already tried it. And the Fed thinks that maybe we could figure it out and make it work. But the problem there is they're not looking back into the 1930s when we had runs on the bank because the cash right. reserves were not there. They, they, they tried pushing $2 trillion into the economy simply to bolster the banks. Yep. But then they, they backed that up with negative interest rates. It's going to attenuate borrowing. It's going to cause a dead cat bounce, I think. I think people are going to pull money out of the banks. They're going to have this money in their hands. And we know people who have money in their hands don't save things. They spend No. And so we're going to get a small bump in GDP, which is going to be followed by a huge crash. But that, yeah, that's my I'm, I'm not the economist. You, no, you and, I, and I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think that the reactions that, that occur right now are, are always like, you know, we have to save the economy, right? Um, there are just some, you know, look, it's, it's, it's survival of the fittest, man. If you know how to run a business, if you're smart with money management, you know, um, you get penalized, right? But if you're, if you lend to people uh, like banks did for so long uh, and you're just, there's no moral hazard there. Like you can do whatever you want to and just get bailed out. And, and that, that's the part of our economy that, you know, unfortunately is not capitalistic. I, and, I love that you label capitalistic tendencies whenever they're being bailed out by socialism as moral hazards. I, that's right. I heart you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'm sorry to derail you there, Eric, but it, I, I think that's an important point is that people don't see the big picture of where yeah. all of this fits in. And yeah. there's more at play here than just one thing. We've never had a health crisis on top of an economic crisis on top of physical crisis in the environment with the earthquakes and everything else that's happening right now too. Those barely even hit the news because of COVID. Nope. You know? I know it's a, it, it really is amazing what, what, what dominates the, uh, the airwaves right now. And we can go down a rabbit hole on that one too. Uh, I do want to, I'll, I'll circle back though on like this, because we, we, we looked at this and you know, there was a default financial plan for the masses all along. And I'm going to get into that right after we, we kind of, we go through this because I think it's interesting when you leave, when you really look at, I don't think there's coincidences. When you look at everything that's been done over the last 12 years, it's been built up for this result right here that we're getting right now. And I'll leave that as a little teaser as we go through this. Anybody but, um, read any articles on fractional reserves so they can understand how the banking system works? Yeah, they absolutely. If you don't understand the banking system, if you don't understand, you know, central banks and and uh, how they operate, you, you really need to. You really need to start educating yourself because that is, uh, you need you. That is your enemy. Um, in terms of like handling staff, you know, a couple things too because you know I know your staff, your, your staff is a little nervous. They're scared. Um, you know, to me, again, you have to make sure that everyone has somewhat of a positive attitude. Uh, you have to make sure that they're wearing their hat. Like, you know, just make sure people are doing their job. Don't try to do more than, than what they think they need to do. Just make sure that they're doing their job. And then really key is just make sure that everyone is completely coordinated because right now people are having to work remotely. 
you know, they're in different places and the communication lines can break down pretty quickly in an organization when people are not completely coordinated with one another. So you really have to, to make sure that, you know, if you have an office manager or your employees that are, that are working remotely, um, you know, just make sure you stay really, really coordinated with them uh, because things get dropped when, when you don't do that. Um, and I think that's, uh, when's the last thing I want to go through? Oh, who you should stay connected to right now. And we talked, we, we did, we did uh, touch on this um, in terms of uh, your financial team, but right now it's really key. I think really key that you stay in, in, in uh, good, good communication with your colleagues. So I'm sure you have people that are, that are on the podcast, you know, listening to you because you're trying to provide good data. Definitely like your accountants and bookkeepers, uh, because these are the people that are going to understand your income and your expenses. From, a, uh, from an HR perspective, definitely understand like, okay, what are, my, what are my options here? And what are the do's and don'ts? Of course, your bankers, your credit lines, and then if you have a financial advisor, now's not the time to like run and hide from them. You know, let's confront your area. You may have investments or money that you have liquidity to that you don't even necessarily know that you have. So you want to make sure that you really look at and find out like where are all my available lines of credit that I have right now? Because to me, the operative word is not having to go into more debt to solve this problem. I think that's a mistake. And that, you know, that would kind of lead into, you know, talking about that, um, that bill um, because I'll have my viewpoint on that if you want me to share it. Absolutely. And I'm going to ask you, with a very, I'm going to start you off with a very pointed question. It's something I keep seeing people say, and my head's about to explode because they keep talking about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm late on my payments for my loan from my practice. Mm -hmm. Taking out this new loan is going to be so great. And I'm like, you're going to be paying interest on top of interest. Just reach out to your bank and say, hey, I can't pay you. No yep. one can pay you right now. You need to do something to help me to help you. Have those hard conversations. If you borrow money on top of money, I mean, what were your thoughts as a financial advisor? Borrowing money, and if I'm wrong, Eric, you know as always, just tell me I'm an idiot. Just, but it you've been right so, so far. It seems so stupid to me. Yeah, look. So let's talk about that. The the um, the grants or whatever they're they're considered loans, temporary loans, SBA loans, and such. You know, look uh, to me right now, and like I said before, and I'm not telling people to not do it. I'm, all I'm saying is this. Uh, your responsibility is to keep the organization there. You're going to have to do whatever you have to do to be able to do that. But right. that being said, whenever I've seen like this easy access to money or making money and loans really accessible, right. it's usually, it usually comes with titanium strings. And when, you, and when you start looking at the details, the devil is in the details of these things because you don't know. Uh, okay, so they say that that as long as you keep your employees, we'll give you this loan, and if you keep them for a certain period of time, then that could potentially be forgiven. Well, that's a long time from now, man, and we have no idea what the economic environment's going to be like. We don't know if it's going to get worse. We don't know if um, if patient visits are going to dry up. We don't know. We don't. If people aren't going to spend money because they can't, and that you may not be able to hire all your people back. Right. And so, you know, when you start looking at this, and this is another piece of advice that I would give practice owners, look, I would not 
bring all of my employees back at one time. I would not do that. I would, I would gradiently start bringing people back as the patient load warrants. Right. Because you, you don't want to overwhelm the organization with expenses again. And, and you really need to make sure that you navigate that point so that, okay, we're gonna, if we're going to see this many patients, this is how much staff that we need, and I can start gradiently bring, bringing people back um, that way, not all at once, because it doesn't turn around all at once. Absolutely. And I, I can see from your next slide, you're going to talk about the, uh, the small plate diet. The small plate diet? Profit first. Pay yourself first. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. Uh, that and, and to your point on the loans, too, uh, I, here's what I would try to do. At all costs, I would try not to, to get a loan or a grant from this bill. I would really, I would really try to simply outproduce the problem. Try to outcreate the problem. Get creative in your marketing, your services that you can deliver. You know, push on those high profit margin services that you can deliver right away. You know, really push on that so that you don't have to take a loan. And I promise you, because look. I mean, you know, coming out of school, you know, dentists have huge student loans to equipment's not cheap. Uh, if you want to acquire a practice, you're going to have to get a loan on that. If you buy the real estate, you're going to have a loan on that. I mean, the amount of debt that, that practice owners are already carrying is massive. Absolutely. And that's great in a good economy when you can afford the payments. But if there's just one little hiccup, right, and you have to service all that debt, it's a massive, it's a massive obligation. So why put another obligation on the organization? You know, to your point, I don't so, think it makes any sense. So because our live feed broke, <laughs> because Facebook sucks today, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate here. So Eric, look, I'm shut down. The government has told me I can't work and I can't yep. do anything that's non-essential. I can't do anything that's not an emergency. How can you sit there and tell me to outproduce the problem when I can't produce? Why in yeah. God's green earth would I not take $10,000 free from the government? All right, go. Okay, well, you, you assume that it's free, right? Yeah. <laughs> money, money is a representation of delivered value, right? So when someone gives you, quote unquote, money for free, that was simply created, right? And, as the, and so you get this money. What happens if you don't pay it back? Well. I mean, where did the money come from? It was created out of thin air, okay? It's, it's, it's based upon the ability of the taxpayers to, to pay, you know, the, the, the continued interest on money that is created. We, we operate in a debt-based society. And that's why this is, is so dangerous to shut down production because look at most people operate on, on loads of debt. And there, there's, you know, to add more of that, I don't think is going to be the solution. But to your point, you got to do what you got to do, right? You have to do what you have to do. I would just, I wouldn't have the mindset that this is quote unquote free money because in my experience, there's, there's really no such thing. No, I didn't, honestly, what, what they've done right now by printing $2 trillion is they've actually created a deflationary event. The, the value of the dollar is going to deflate, I should say. Um, so we're, I, you know, economic theory, you and I both understand <laughs> happen. Yeah. Hey, look, if, if you, if you produce something, if you understand expenses, if you understand income, 
uh, you know you know economics, and and the basic principles of economics, which have always worked in the past, um, which is you know understand how to create value, understand uh, how to ma manage your money correctly, understand that you can't spend more than what you make, uh, that you can't over leverage yourself, and if you do, that you put yourself at risk. These are all sim simplicities of economics, and right. unfortunately. You know, we've we've went far afield from that in our in our current system, and that's the, one of the things that has to change. You know, uh, from a mindset standpoint, uh, on you know from that perspective, I I like I debt. I don't agree. think I'm I'm definitely not here to say debt is bad. I'm certainly you know because there is absolutely good debt. I think debt against income producing assets is good debt. I think debt that um, when you buy an asset that will appreciate is good debt. I think debt that gives you a tax benefit is good debt, but everything else is bad debt. Right. And, you know, you shouldn't overwhelm yourself with too much debt because it, it, you're just, you're operating on such a, a small margin for error. Like a lot of people are right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'll give you a couple decisions that I think people should be making right now. Um, and this one I'm, I'm, I'll say, you know, I would like to say you, you should continue paying yourself. That may not be necessarily real right now for a lot of people that aren't making any money, but I just don't, I, I always want to make sure that you have that mindset that you are your, your most important creditor and you have to make sure that you're continuing to pay yourself in some form or fashion. Uh, definitely consider, you know, your marketing and promotional activities. Do not stop there. Um, from a protection standpoint, because, you know, we talked about banks, right? You talked about run on the banks and, and what happens if some of those financial institutions fail. Like, what are your alternatives? Right. Like, what, what, could you, what could you do? So there's a couple of things that I think that, that you can start looking at doing. Uh, and again, I'm not telling people to go run out and get all their money out of the banks and stick it under a mattress and have a bunch of cash or put it all in gold. Not that that would be a, a horrible idea to have some of that. Um, I do. I have some cash and some precious metals, um, but there are some alternatives too. So, of the of what I would consider the depository institutions, which are banks and credit unions and you know commercial banks, those kinds of things, you can open up a brokerage account, a brokerage account at um, you know let's say TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, your listeners right now probably have brokerage accounts. Mm -hmm. And either that's where their IRAs or their 401ks and such are, are that's where they're held at those kinds of uh, investment institutions. And this now, is a buying time, folks. A buying yes. Time. Now, now the only issue that I probably have is a lot of the, the, the practice owners that, that uh, at least we work with had way too much of their money in, in the speculative nature of the stock market. And you can see what happens in a, you know, in a, in a 30 day period, you can lose 40% of your value while your practice is crashing at the same time. That's no fun. You know, that's no fun when both things are going down at the same time. That's no fun. I, I think, so, I think the, the, the problem is a lot of people don't do the math on, they, they see the steady fast rise, but they don't yep. understand how long it takes to replace that once it's been wiped out, whenever your value has been decreased by a drop yeah. in the market. They, they don't understand that over time period, you're not getting that 25 or 30% growth, you get a 9% growth, you yeah. know, or, or maybe a 10. So anyway, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I, think, I think that's a calculation a lot of people don't make. They, they get excited. Personally, as far as I'm concerned, finances should not be exciting. They should be boring. No. Oh my God. 
That is so smart. And that is, that is exactly the, the viewpoint that we should like the, the, the habits uh, should be boring and they should be routine and they should be, you know, things that aren't exciting. And right. that's how financial planning should be. It's, it is a series of boring yet powerful, repetitive financial habits and actions that you're doing continuously. Right. And they're not sexy. They're not necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make, you know, 20, 30%, but they're the habits that are going to lead you to doing the things that would allow your financial condition to go from really, really good to all of a sudden super awesome in a short Absolutely. period of time. And, and the reason people um, don't do well financially is because they can't tolerate the boringness of it. Right. You know, you know, they, another, another of my standards, whenever I choose who to listen to, and, and a good friend of mine, Joe Mayo, said this to me the other day, and I just kind of smiled and shook my head because we're so much on the same page. Don't take advice from people who don't have more money than you. <laughs> yeah. And if you're, if you're financial advisor, I'm going to put you on the spot, Eric. I'm not going to make you do it here. But when they call you, okay, good. your financial advisor can't disclose to you how much money he's making every year. That's probably because they're ashamed of the fact that they're not making any money. If they're not making any money, guess what? If not, they're not, if they haven't reached their number and everyone should have a number, your number should be where you are finished and could retire if you had to. It doesn't mean you have to retire then. Right. It's where you could retire if you have to. And if you don't know what that number is, you have no plan. And if nope. you are taking advice from people who don't make more money than you and have not reached their, their number, you have a bad plan. Yep. So your, your thoughts on that? No, I think that's, uh, I think that's uh, definitely correct. Um, you know, if you're working with an advisor, number one, you should be working with an advisor that understands how important your business is to your household. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's, that is a, that, that is a real problem because, you know, I, a lot of, a lot of your listeners, I know that they have, you know, they have an accountant, they have, you know, probably like a retirement advisor, they have an insurance agent, uh, they have, because they, yeah. they, they have an attorney and you're right, but all those people are completely fragmented from one another completely. Like they're not coordinated at all. And, you know, each one of them has a certain, uh, you know, agenda, so to speak, that they're, they're trying to achieve. And that is, that's a real problem because there's, there's not like a coordinated system. And that's, that's really what, you know, I think the, what differentiates what we've done, we've created a coordinated system where we look at everything and then we make sure that that practice owner uh, is doing the actions that's going to lead to that area being in tip top shape. And um, that definitely is a, is a, is an, is an issue for a lot of practice owners. Um, I forgot where I was on this one. We were talking about where to put your money right now, right? Right. Brokerage, brokerage uh, accounts and making sure you're dealing with the right people. Yeah, that would be another one. And then of course, uh, what are the, there's, there's one more financial institution that a lot of people have um, probably heard is not like, uh, I don't Please know. They've heard that completely Eric, because yeah. you know, I'm going to get so much flashback on this one. Oh, and huge. This, so talk to them about why, and about what percentages and how they should determine that. And I know you're, if, if, they, if they go to you for their, their free consultation, you're going to talk to them about that. But there is yep. so much misinformation about using life insurance policies. And I believe it's because the brokers don't make as much money on them. 
Oh, they don't like when you, when like, this is the thing that a lot of people think that like that they're, they're told by the f- other financial advisors that insurance agents and I'm both. Right. So I don't, I don't care. I'm a fiduciary. So I use whatever tool I have in my toolbox. I use insurance products. I use wealth management strategies and I use real estate. Okay. So I, I use them all because I know that they're, they're all important. I'll tell you this when it comes to life insurance. Um, it, it has, it has, uh, it has, got in such a bad rap and I looked at it and I was like, I don't understand why. And, but I do realize right now when you, when you look at the actual, how the, the, the fees and commissions that are paid over a 30 year period between like a managed account or life insurance policy, it's not even close. The managed account's right. going to be probably two or three times more than the life insurance policy. Right. When there's, when there's, when there's apples to apples comparison. And again, I don't care about that. If, the, if an advisor charges 1% or a half a percent, whatever, but provides value to that person, that's fine. Right. But don't get, don't, don't get into like an argument like this is better or that's better. They're just two different types of institutions, completely different agendas and purposes. The only reason that you would put money in life insurance and annuities is because you want to make sure your money is protected. Okay. And when I say protected, it means that um, in most states, life insurance and annuities are protected from creditor attack. So in the great state of Texas, you can have a $5 million in insurance policy and you get sued for a million bucks and they cannot touch a dollar in your account. If, if you want to be wealthy, and I, please correct me here, if you want to build wealth and you want to build your retirement and you want to retire in good fashion, you should live in Texas or Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's true. We have the best laws concerning, well, you, you know, that's why I moved to Texas. <laughs> you know, yeah. we've got the best laws in the nation for wealth building. It's, it's, it is unbelievable. And, and, you know, of course, insurance and annuities do that. But insurance policies offer liquidity right now. I mean, if people that have money in their cash value life insurance policy, you can access that money through what's called a policy loan. And that, that has saved so many of my practice owners bacon when they got into trouble that they, you know, if they had money tied up in other, in other areas that they couldn't get the access to the liquidity, well, they can access that in their insurance policies at, at pretty low rates. Now, they, they have to be constructed correctly. Um, there are some unscrupulous insurance agents that sell these things wrong. And I think that's what happens of why you know, people look at these things. But, you know, Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey have done a really, really good job of telling people that they should stay away from these things. And the only problem that I have with that is if you look at the biggest banks and institutions in the world, which I've done, and you guys can Google it yourself. You can just, you can Google bank owned life insurance and you will find that the biggest banks in the world own billions and not just billions, hundreds of billions of dollars of cash value life insurance. So they must know something. Well, it's a a safe bet, that's why. Yes. And there's, and there's tax benefits and it's liquid and there's no stock market risk to it. So, you know, for, for, for an owner or for an advisor to say, we're not going to do that. I'm not saying put all your money in there. That's not what I'm saying at all, but you should have a portion of what you're saving um, be channeled in those things for protection aspects. And that I think, and when you look at the, and from a, from a safety factor, like, let's look at the number of banks that fail during times of depression or recession. It is a far greater number 
than the amount of uh, uh, insurance companies that do. Why? Because insurance companies don't operate on leverage. They cannot borrow out more money than what they have in reserves, like banks do, right? So reserve, that's yeah, why I, fractional reserve. <laughs> yes, you, again, look up fractional reserve. So I think that yep. that definitely would. Uh, I you know I meant to bring something in here, um, and I, I didn't have enough time because of the issues with Facebook's live. Um, they just changed their live studio, and we had some issues with it early this morning, guys. But I have personally a four-inch thick binder. That is my financial plan. Yeah. That my wife sit down with Eric once a year, with a Eric actually, because <laughs> there's another Eric that works at at at, at, at Econologics. But we sit down once a year and we go over exactly what we need to do to correct <clears throat> our plans based upon market and our personal financial and personal life situations. It, it's a very comprehensive process and should be because yep. you know you're planning for that that last 20% of your life, it, it's kind of like that 80, 20 rule, isn't it? You know, yep. you, you got to put 80% of your effort into that last 20% of your life. And that starts now. If you don't have and a financial plan that's written out, you don't have a plan. Yeah. Let's talk about that too. If you're okay with that, please. There, there, there was a, there was a plan for, Eric, you can talk you, about mine if you want. Full okay. No, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, right now, uh, if you really look at what's happening right now there, and, you know, of course we've studied history and, and we've looked at, you know, financial institutions and, and, you know, conspiracy theories aside, you can see some of the things that have occurred over the last, you know, 20 years and, and specifically 12, you know, the, there, there was a plan all along. We call it the default plan. And this is the plan that you've been following if you don't have your own plan, Right. Right. And the plan was pretty simple. It was to make interest rates so low, right? Because how much do you earn in a bank account right now? Zero to 1%? If uh, that's going to be negative. Soon. Yeah, it's, it's going to be negative. So what did that do? Well, um, it, it really forced people to say, I don't want to have my money just sitting around doing nothing. Okay. So, and, and people can't tolerate that. They can't, they can't stand having 100,000 sitting in account, quote unquote, earning nothing. Right. But how much would you like to have a hundred grand sitting around your account right now when there's a liquidity issue? Right. You know, and uh, but they but they forced that by by making uh, punishing savers by giving them low interest rates. The other thing that they did was they made borrowing extremely easy, and they made it enticing. And they said, look, for this small payment with this small interest rate, you can have this ginormous home, and as long as you make the payments, and in thirty years you'll own this home or this car or this boat or whatever other consumer uh, you know, product that they have out there that they're pushing, right? But they made borrowing so simple that uh, you know, people just borrowed money uh, at will. The third thing that they did is they made the tax code really ambiguous. And when you look at the tax code, it's 4 million words right now, 4 million words. Like I think all the books that you have on your shelf probably aren't even close to 4 million words. Uh, think about that. As a practice owner, I can tell you most practice owners are paying about twenty-five to forty thousand dollars more in taxes than what they should, simply because their accountants don't understand it. Uh, they think their accountants do, and you know, right now, twenty-five to forty thousand dollars would seem like an awful lot of money to a, a practice owner. And Eric, to that point, um, guys, you may remember whenever I told you about the Augusta Rule, and you may remember whenever I told you about the conservation yeah. easement. 
and about using trust whenever you sell your business. Uh, this is where I learned it. Yep. So for those of you who have benefited, you've already benefited from what Econologics has taught me. Yeah, that Augusta rule is something a lot of those guys can just do right away. I mean, it's exactly. just, it's simply having a meeting at your home, business What's meeting, a legitimate business meeting. Yep. Um, and you can do that up to 14 days a year. It's like, it, it's a no brainer. Of course, consult with your accountant on that, but there, there's one more thing that they did. So they made, they made, inter, they made interest, they, they punished savers and that's why people have no liquidity. They made um, borrowing super simple uh, and way too accessible. They made the tax code ambiguous. And then finally, they made it seem like the stock market was the only place that you could earn money to keep up with this inflation rate. Right. And they herded all of this money, trillions and trillions of dollars into the equity and stock market. And it was the perfect storm. Now look at what happened to most people. They don't have any liquidity. They have loads of debt. They're paying way more in taxes than what they should. And their equity accounts, their reserve accounts, and their, their retirement accounts are down 20, 25% and likely to go to probably down 50 to 60%. That is the perfect storm right there. That was a beautiful marketing job by whoever did that. And people bought into that. That was the default plan all along. And if you did not have your own plan where you were making sure that your business was profitable, sustainable, and transferable, that you were paying yourself, and, and building liquidity in other areas. Uh, if you were taking advantage of the tax code and you weren't putting all of your retirement assets in over speculative investments, you're sitting all right right now. You're feeling pretty good. And that that's, I think, the plan that people are gonna have to start getting adjusted to going forward, is not follow that default plan. Because well, I think and, that's- And I have to say, and I'm gonna tell on us here, as dentists, we've been part of this. You know, yep. we sell treatment plans now based upon financing them. And I would never have hit the numbers I hit, the numbers I needed to hit without financing people. So it, it's a systemic issue that we really have to address as a society. Yeah. But you can do your part to make yourself safe. Yes. Yeah. And like I said, I'm, I'm definitely not discouraging people from borrowing. I just want to make sure that they borrow intelligently. Yeah. And responsibly. And they don't, you know, Hey, I'm going to go buy, you know, a, a shopping mall in Alaska uh, because it, 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 you know, it appears like it's a good deal, which actually someone wanted to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's <laughs> really, That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I want yeah, you to I just know. look, I, I, it's really simple. I think that that practice owners should, should focus on their business. Number one mm -hmm. um, should make sure that they are extremely profitable. And, and you really have to, to do that, like looking forward now. That's what I, I thought is a good opportunity right now as you get your business back going again to really do good financial management and make sure that you're taking 10, 15, I get, you know, in some cases, 20% of your practice production right off the top, incorporating that into what you need to make every month and putting that aside to create liquid reserves, and other income producing assets for yourself. So you're not dependent upon the, the banks uh, or your business for your financial survival. So I think I that's to, a bad way I to go to about it. I have to make an admission here. This is yep. what I fought you on the hardest 
when they first started. Remember that? Nah. Uh, how can you do that? Nah. Just do it. It, it's funny, and it's it's really funny because after after we started with it, um, I read Profit First. Yes. I read Great the small plate diet, and it, all of a sudden it was just this huge epiphany, and I had to apologize. I was like, okay, I'm I'm wrong. I understand now. It's it's um it's kind of like the same thing, guys. When you eat off of a smaller plate, you don't eat as much food. It's a proven scientific fact. They've done yep. studies on this. And it's the same thing with money. If you feel rich, you spend more money. If you have bigger cash flow to spend, you're going to spend it. And, and so if you take a portion of that aside and put it as a as monida non grata, yep. you, know, you, you stick it off to where you can't use it. You generally tend to, what, you like that, money not grata, right? that, What so, does that mean? <laughs> money, uh, money not welcome, uh, persona non grata, person not welcome. I'm making it up as I'm going along. You right? are an educated man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just have a bunch of crap floating around in there. Um, so, and, and I'm probably wrong on that translation. So, I, and I know a lot of my, my uh, it sounds good. <laughs> a lot of my listeners are going to that's not what that means. But anyway, guys, the whole point is you, you take some money and you put it aside and you don't touch it. Um, and you learn to live within a budget because most of us don't budget well. If you decrease the amount of money that you spend, you are budgeting in a sense, right? Yeah. Because you're budgeting for savings and you're budgeting for income. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, budgeting and, and you know, budgeting has, you know, kind of, you know, uh, this Bad term like, you know, uh, you know, and, and look, it, I think you can you can you can actually expense your way into financial freedom. And what I mean by that is that you know your your organization, whether you like it or not, is is going to try to spend every dollar that it makes and then some. It just will. And don't try to fight that. It will. But it'll also make the exact amount of money it thinks it needs to make to survive. Right. And I think you can start thinking of examples. Your, your, your listeners can start thinking of examples. You know what? That's kind of true. I had this tax bill that I had to pay. And all of a sudden, I had one of my better months that I've had that I could cover that. Right. And that's right. the phenomenon is that when you put. So how do you utilize that? How do you apply that so that you can create reserves at the same time thinking that you're spending everything that you're making? Right. You have to come up with the right number. And that, that, that means that you have to incorporate, to, to your point on profit first, you have to incorporate at the top of that your profit first and make it an actual necessary expense and put it in on a weekly basis and it's just coming out just like any other bill. And if you can do that one thing, you have the game won because it then puts the demand for income that your organization needs. And I can bet right now of your listeners, I would say probably about 80% are operating on a wrong target for how much money that their business needs to make to be able to, to satisfy all their actual wants and needs. Right. I, I bet you it's that high. Uh, they're probably operating on maybe uh, 20 to $30,000 less than what they actually should if they really looked at it. And again, that's where having a good plan comes into play because you actually work that out so you know how much money you need to make. So Eric, before I derail you with another question, let's finish up these last two slides. And then I have a zinger for you that All right. I haven't talked to you about. Something I noticed the other day, and I want to see what you're, because uh, you're brilliant with finances. And I love to throw stuff at you and see what your thoughts are. Okay, uh, so, well, you're not, now you're putting me on the spot here. I, um, I can probably save this for the end. This is what we do with our clients, unless you want me okay. to, um, uh, I can just save that for the end, if you want me okay. to. 
No, no, um, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Talk to them about the customer. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, so to your point, like what, how do we, what do we do differently with our clients? Because, you know, a lot of the things that we were talking about. So, you know, the first thing that we have to do is we have to, we have to make sure that there is an actual plan. Like what is, the, what is an ideal financial condition for a practice owner? That's really never been defined. You know, and we defined it as that in your household, you would have an abundance of income coming in from multiple sources. You'd be free of all bad debt. You'd have created a reliable passive income stream that can pay for your basic lifestyle. Um, uh, all your bad debt, I said all your bad debt would be paid off. Uh, your assets would be protected from taxes, inflation, and, and lawsuits. Your business would be worth maximum value, and you would have time to pursue whatever life goals that you would have. That would be an optimum condition right there. So what we do is we simply build a plan for you that are going, that's going to teach you the, the correct habits and the correct actions that would get to that um, optimum scene. So we systematize you, you building your reserves. We show you how to systematize doing that. We, of course, make sure that you organize your debt payoff schedule so that you're paying your debt off correctly. Uh, we make sure that you're not over-speculating over-speculating with retirement assets. Uh, we certainly help you save on taxes. I got 21 different tax strategies that likely most of you probably aren't doing or your accountant said don't do it for whatever reason. And that's costing you a lot of money. And then of course- On that note, on that note they yep. should read the book half. Yeah. Um, who's the author of that? I can't remember his name. I don't know. I, that, I'm just, uh, that, I'm gonna write that down myself. No, he's- um, He's one of your guys, man. He's one of your guys. He, uh, he's a lawyer who comes in, he talks to people about tax situations. And oh, is he? It's, uh, he, uh, he says you can cut your tax bill in half. Yeah. Oh, you're, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you're, if you're proactive at all, you can, you can definitely cut your tax bill by, by at least effectively at least five to 10%, which is a big number when you talk about a private practice yeah, owner. Absolutely. Um, but look, we make your business a priority. You know, we show you value drivers that you can put in your business that will help increase the value because it is a valuable asset to a lot of practice owners. And, and some of you are going to transition out and sell at some point in time. And I'm sure you want to do that for a premium. You know, you don't want to sell your practice for a low amount. So you're going to have to make sure you know what you're doing from that end. And then I think the big thing that we do is look, I, you know, I, I try to look at us as like a beacon of financial sanity. Um, I can't say that I know everything, but I know enough and I know the correct actions that will allow someone to navigate any kind of situation. So, you know, we provide, we provide a lot of, um, advice, but we also hold people accountable. Like in our system, you know, we make sure through what we call our econometry analytics, our stats, our results, we show people that they're making progress in their financial condition, not just their investments their actual financial condition. The only way you can do that is through measurements. I mean, you're, you're a scientist, right? So you understand that there, there needs to be evidence and there needs to be results and there needs to be something you can measure along the way. And, you know, a lot of practice owners simply don't have that mechanism in their plan right now. They're like, well, I guess my accounts are up, so I'm doing okay, you know, they're but they're, 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 they're not. Gut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not a way to do that. So um, to your point, uh, I am going to offer to every anyone on your on your list if uh, you want a fifteen to thirty minute call about anything. I don't care what it is. Uh, we can arrange that, and um, you know, just 
whatever questions that you have, we'll give you 15 to 30 minutes and, uh, you know, take advantage of it because I know there's a lot of confusion right now with a lot of people and, um, you need a, a sane, a sane person to talk to. And, and we've had a lot of conversations here recently about how to navigate this, this, uh, this crisis. And, um, so I'm going to, I'll definitely make that offer to you, um, and all your listeners as well. Fantastic. Uh, now, as a fiduciary giving advice, yep. you're required to give a disclosure. Um, and we will, I'll get the link for that, um, for that offer and I'll stick it yep. under this. So go ahead with your disclosure, sir. There's a disclosure right there. We are a registered investment advisor under the Securities Commission. That's all I'm going to say on that one. So I think that's good. So I'm going to, I'm going to you shut that down. I'll, I'll mention that, uh, You don't want to read it in that really, uh, really serious undertone that <laughs> Econologics Financial Advisors is registered. Econologics Financial Advisors. Hey, let me, um, there's one more thing too. Let me see if I still have it up here. Um, can you still, can we you can, still see can. my screen? Absolutely. Hey, while you're okay. doing that, I'm going to, I'm going to let you think about this question before you answer it. Oh yeah. Let me go ahead and shoot it to me right now. Did you notice that the FDIC petitioned the government for a change of accounting method? No, I did not. So I'll let you look that up do? and then you can call me back and tell me what your thoughts on that are. <laughs> so, okay. Interesting. I um, thought it was interesting too. That's why when I read it, I was like, Oh my God, when I talked to Eric, I got to ask him about this. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Uh, who knows? Uh, you know, these are the thing when, when we have times of distress like that, it's, it's amazing what, what happens, you know, like things that get done because of that. Um, hey, another thing too, I will mention, uh, if you go to our website, econologicsfinancialadvisors.com, uh, okay. um, I do have what's called our survival guide, our, survival, our financial survival guide. Go ahead and pull that up and show them. Yep. So can you, can you guys see this? Okay. All right, Eric, we can, uh, we can see your website now. Go ahead and show okay. us where you, can, um, where you can download this for free if you're, if you're interested in it. And, and tell yep. us a little so bit about can, what it covers. Yeah, so if you would like to, you can go to our website and down at the bottom here, again, we just added this, it would be your financial survival guide. So that'll that'll take you to um, this particular link right here. And you can okay. just, you know, name and address and, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, name and email, and we'll send you that, that download. Um, right. I do have some uh, other free downloads as well that you can access. Uh, we have, um, you know, a practice expansion checklist. You know, if, if a lot of you are in a cash flow crunch or get, ever get into a cash flow crunch, uh, we'll have a checklist for that. So you certainly go to our website and, and take advantage of what we have. We got a video library as well. We have some webinars. So we have a lot of material that we want to make sure that is accessible to, uh, to your audience. Um, so that they can, you know, they just have some help because I know right now people are just looking for anything that's going to give them some certainty. And, and guys, obviously the ultimate goal of all of this is that you're so impressed that you decide to use Econologics and become a client. And, uh, you know, hopefully you do. I'm, I'm down with that. <laughs> I'm down with that. Yeah. And like I said, it would start with just a, just, just a phone call. And we'll offer that consultation to everybody. So again, if you want to, if you want to get in touch with us, let me see if I can, I, I had that. Um, but definitely, and maybe I can share a link or. Um, Absolutely. We'll get a link put up. And um, so real quick, before we end, um, yep. a quick disclosure, I'm required by the FTC, uh, FTC to make a disclosure anytime I make an affiliate commission. Um, 
if you do choose to go the Econologics, I will receive a small finder's fee, a small commission for referring you, um, just to make sure everything stays in the up and up. So yep. folks, thank you so much for joining us here on a, another episode of the Deer Doc Podcast. Uh, hopefully you have found some value in this and you find some really great resources here on the Econologics website so that you can make sure that you end up this, this financial crisis in a better position than you started in. Yes. Eric, and I'll, I'll say time now. Yeah. Can I say one more thing before we go? Please. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, for me, I know a lot of people are a bit scared, nervous. Uh, a lot of people are having to confront, you know, the fact that what happens if I can't ever open my practice again? Um, you know, what would that look like? And I'll just, I'll just tell you this, you know, the only time that you ever actually lose anything is when you, you give up your ability that you can actually create it again. So even if the worst case scenario happened, uh, never doubt that you can simply create it again if you, if you have to. And, you know, make sure that, that everyone has that viewpoint and, um, you know, we'll all get through this together. I read somewhere, and I could be completely smoking crack here, but I swear I read that the single common trait that most millionaires in this world share is that they've gone bankrupt once or something to that effect. You know well, what I'm talking about? I can't even remember. Oh, yeah. Well, here, I think here's the phenomenon that occurs. Um, when, as you're going through like the financial conditions and as you're, as you're going up through, you know, different financial conditions, um, you're going to experience what's called a resistance wave. Okay. And regardless of uh, what that wave looks like for everyone, uh, it is like, it's what I call the direct opposition, criticism, and resistance that one gets as they're trying to take it themselves to the next level. Think about your life. Whenever you've like been able, almost got to the next level, there's this massive amount of resistance that occurs Absolutely. right before you- Sometimes you, you, it's you, external. Yes, it usually is external, right? So- um, that's that's actually a pretty natural phenomenon that you're going to occur. So a lot of, of what you'll hear, the success stories are going to be a lot of people that are that uh, are driven to the brink, right? And they're almost like they're they're just at that corner right there. They're at the brink, and then they give up. And the people that kind of push through that brink and were confronted with either bankruptcy or you know I'm down to like my last dollar in my bank account. Like I had a friend of mine that was down to like his, his last seventy. 78 cents in his bank account, right? And, you know, all of a sudden he built, you know, a, a $20 million company right now because he, he was willing to go to the brink. And I, I don't think, and hey, look, I don't think either. it's... That was the yeah. combination of a lifetime of effort. Yeah, really. I don't think that you have to necessarily get to that point. I think you just have to be willing to experience that, whatever that feels like as a business owner, like I, you know, I think that you just have to be willing to say to yourself, I am willing to go all in on this. And you know, whether or not this puts me in bankruptcy, I don't care. I believe in it so much. It's my purpose. Uh, then, and you're willing to go to the brink, then I think you'll be okay. So Eric, whenever I'm, I talk in, in the book I'm writing right now, there's a chapter that talks about this and I'm so glad you brought this up because it's so true. The chapter is entitled, a healthy desperation. Yes. Ooh, that's good. A healthy desperation. Yeah. Hey, yeah, there is. What's that? <laughs> I'll get you a copy. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. It's really incredible, you know, and I think that, you know, because you, def you definitely go through different levels 
as your uh, as in your financial uh, your financial condition goes. I actually have a pretty good resource on that called the Seven Zones of Financial Freedom, and um, that's that one right there. That actually takes you through all the different financial zones that you will go through in your lifetime, and it will uh, you know it'll the exact amount of money that you're making, your assets, your net worth, your tax, and all that. Um, but anytime that you take it to the next level there there's going to be that resistance wave and, and for those practice owners that can confront it that can say hey you know whatever it is and it's been so many different things for so many people you know it's either hey i lost a key staff member or you know we got audited by the irs or you know i had thirty thousand dollars worth of termite damage to my home or whatever it would be i mean it's just been like a laundry list of things but it always happens to individuals so when I, when I say that, I just want people to realize, look, if you start feeling like you're getting this resistance, you know, don't, don't look at it as a bad sign. If you start getting attacked, like I imagine like with, with the number of people that you've talked to, like you've probably gotten some resistance, some attacks, oh, haven't you? You would have no idea. There's actually yeah. an entire group of people who have organized to create a website mocking me. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's my point, right? People can't stand other people doing something beautiful. Well, and you know, the, the great thing is, is you can measure your success by the quality of enemies that you create. Yes. And yeah, because you're not, if you're not really communicating and reaching, then you're not really impacting anybody. So Absolutely. I don't know how many people that you have on your list, but I mean, if you, I mean, the significant amount of people that you have on your list, you're going to get some people that, you know, that just don't want anything good to happen to anybody. And, and if you can root those people out of your life, but if you can tolerate that, which you do, Right. You can tolerate that kind of like negativity. No problem. I'll be honest with you, Eric. And um, initially, whenever I, I got that kind of um, that kind of hatred, yeah. it, it really devastated me. And then I realized it wasn't me. These people hate themselves. Oh, yeah. They, they have to be just filled with self-loathing to be attacking other people. I mean, they're, they're doing it now in this crisis. They're attacking me and other people who are bringing financial information and, 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 and good information out to our groups. They're attacking us and making fun of us. And I can only think that these people just, they, they must hate themselves. And they do. It just, it, it's insane. I feel bad for them. I really do. Yeah. They, they absolutely hate themselves and the ugliness that they spread is just a representation of how they feel about themselves. There's an, an element of empathy I may have for some of those people if they weren't so damn destructive to other people and because of just how bad that they think of themselves. I call them financial destroyers, you know, from a financial point of view. Those are the people that are saying, hey, don't get rich. You're just doing it for the money. You know, you don't really care about people. Um, all you want to do is make money. You know, you should just enjoy yourself, you know, all those kinds of little jabs that you, you'll get from those kinds of people. And you really just have to recognize what it is and, and be like, that's not my game. That's your game. And I don't want to play your game. So I have a theory about that. And we're just getting a little philosophical and we're getting way off base. Are you okay with that? Because I, I, I Let's keep going on this. I, this is actually way more fun right now. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, yeah. So my theory is that those are the people who have been confronted with that wave of, of disapproval, that wave of resistance yep. and they have caved into it and they've been, and I, I hate to use this word to describe someone because I don't want to be unkind, but they've been too cowardly to face it again. They're afraid yep. and they hate themselves for it. And so they'll, they'll always, they're afraid they're always going to be a failure. And so they hate anyone who they see success in. 
and, and they don't have to be because they could always just take a step back from themselves, just think about why their actions are what they are and, and steal themselves to going after it again. But the tragic thing is, is that they don't. I think you're spot on. I, I mean, that it, it, they, they gave up on their dreams, right? So for whatever, whatever aberrated reason, they now feel like they have to try to destroy someone else's. And it's, it's sad. And, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, that's, that's their game. And, you know, if, if, but you really have to recognize these people because they're not always like really overt about that. They sometimes are very covert in the right. things that they say. Well, a and lot of, a lot of them use this, um, this mantra of uh, money is evil. Um, profits are evil, that kind of thing, you know, they, they'll, but they, they don't say that directly because I think they, they realize that there's some cognitive dissonance there uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, they want money so they can live their lives. But so what they do instead is they say, well, I'm better than you are because I treat this person for free or I'm better than you are because of, of whatever, but it's always because they're undervaluing the thing they're producing. And my philosophy has always been that there is no better position to be in life than to be making a good living, doing good for others, doing well by doing good. I mean, that's, to me, that, that's my mantra. That's, that's where I want to be. I don't, I don't want to be being poor by doing good. Gandhi was an amazing person, but you know, Gandhi wasn't poor either. He was a lawyer, wasn't he? There's, there's no virtue in being poor. No. And, no, and, I've, and I've heard from a lot of people that actually being poor is about the most selfish thing that you can actually do. Because if you're poor, how many people can you actually help? You can't help. If you don't have resources, if you don't have assets, if you don't have, and of course you have to have a philanthropic mind. You have to have the, the desire that you want to help people and create value and, and do like all those money, things. Money is not an ends. It is a means. But That's if you right. have no means, you have no ends. And you can't accomplish yeah. any good. Not at all. So anyone that's telling you not to have money or to have resources, they're just simply not being virtuous. And, and I think that, you know, the ability to create something of value, which is all money I'm is. I'm going to get so much crap for this video, but I'm looking forward to it, honestly, because I think we're speaking truth here and truth yeah, yeah. needs to be said. Well, I'll say this, you know, because, and, and to get on even a more philosophical line here, you know, your, your own personal ethics and your money condition are not separated from one another. And what I mean by that is that, um, and, and I've seen this you know, all too often, is that when someone has let their, their personal ethics, their own like moral, their moral compass, right, whatever that would be, go sideways. And it's happened to all of us, right? I'm not here like preaching no, that, you know, I'm, you know, it's happened to all of us. But they think that doesn't have an effect on their money condition. I'm here to tell you, it absolutely does. Like there is not a, a scenario that I have, I've witnessed when I've seen someone that has gone into financial ruin, right? Bankruptcy, right. lost their practice, you know, uh, patients weren't coming in and, and all they were doing is looking around saying, oh, look at this person did to me, look at this person did to me, look at this person did to me. And every time I found out later that that person was either using drugs, was cheating on their spouses, was uh, cheating on the IRS, was billing, uh, you know, incorrectly. They were doing something where they let their own personal ethics yes. lapse. And they rationalize. 
people oh hell yeah they rationalized it yeah so uh, I, I just want to make sure especially during this time of confusion there is going to be this this tendency for whatever reason because of the confusion that people are in to kind of like say well maybe I can just cut a corner here I can cut a corner here you know I'll take advantage of this little thing right here and look the, again the most valuable thing you have is your own personal integrity at this point and I would I would try to keep that intact as much as I possibly could and make sure that you're doing whatever is necessary just so that you can maintain that that point of view but don't think that there is um, uh, any kind of separation between your personal your, your own ethics and your money condition they go hand in hand and I've never seen anyone look you've seen people sorry I'm going on a rant here no that's um, okay I you, love it yeah, good. You, you've, you've seen people that have made money that were bad people right right I've seen that all too often there's been really really crappy people that have made a lot of money right but they've never really been able to sustain their wealth because of that they've, they've eventually lost it right. because they couldn't keep their own their own personal ethics in place oh goodness you know I'm, I'm seeing a quote from a book coming out here <laughs> a man must be the equal of his money or he will be destroyed by it damn you just make that up no, that's a, a quote by a character named Francisco from Ayn Rand's um, Atlas Shrugged. Oh, yeah. Wonderful book. If you, can, if you can power through it, it's a big book. But what I was going to tell you what you thousand pages or something like that? Oh, yeah. It's huge. It's huge. But it's almost as thick as my financial plan, Eric. So, <laughs> so I read something once when I was a kid. And guys, if you, if you tune out here, you know, that's cool. But how often do you get to hear philosophy from a financial planner? You know, yep. it, it's, it's kind of cool. So I, I read something once and I want you to speak to it because I think it's going to, it's going to resonate with you. Um, when I was a kid, I can't remember the book and I, I really wish I did because I could attribute it. But the quote was something to the effect of there is no heroism in facing something of which you are not afraid. There is no heroism in facing something. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, a hundred percent. Right. That beautiful. Yeah. It takes right now. It is, uh, it, 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 it takes vigilance, like you have to stay vigilant, stay aware, right? You have to um, stay aware. You have to be aware of where you're at right now. If you're, if you're going to face whatever enemy it is, you have to stay vigilant. You got to stay aware and you have to stay courageous because those people that are not courageous, and that's what I think what courage would be, right? Is that you're, you're afraid, but you're still willing to confront something. And, you know, for those people that can simply confront something, when I say confront, I mean that you actually can look at the situation and not kind of turn your head like this way or this way or just kind of go around it or flee from it. Like you're actually willing to confront that this situation of whatever we're in. That's the first step in handling something. And Absolutely. that takes that takes uh, that is uh, heroic in, in and of itself. Absolutely. Because it's, you know, it's likely something that's going to look pretty bad. And you may be fearful of the consequence, but you know, Eric, if you can leave people um, with only one thought, and I'm going to ask you to think about this one. Leave yeah. People with only one thought that you would believe will better them in their lives financially, personally, in a holistic fashion. What would it be? Oh and, and feel, feel free to have it more than just like a couple words. If, if it's a philosophy, if it's a, if it's, something you read once that made a huge difference in your life, whatever that thought is, what thought would you like to leave with, leave with these people? Um, 
you know, I probably have a lot of it, but you know, you know, to me, it, it does, you know, your, your attitude towards your money is going to dictate your success with your money. And if you have an attitude that, that money is scarce, that you can't, that it's, there's only so much of it that it's, you know, I, I can only have so much that I can't control it. If you have that attitude, then you're always going to have problems with money. Um, but if you can keep your, your attitude towards money, towards, you know, kind of an abundance. And I know that sounds a little cheesy, but it really does start right there with that, with that mindset. And if you can then back that up with really good discipline and financial and, and, and habits and get those in place and then know what the correct actions are and then be willing to have a guide that can guide you along the way that helps you navigate making financial decisions. I think that's a winner. I think that's what allows people to get into that condition of financial freedom, not in 30 years, not in 20 years, but you can do it in 10, seven to 10 years. That's where I would say. Absolutely. I love it. All right, guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Deer Doc podcast, our 20th. Um, I'd really like to thank Eric for coming on and, and sharing some of his knowledge, some of his wisdom and some of his philosophies with us. Eric, as always, this is, this has really been a blast for me. Um, so thank you so much. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Do well. You too, brother. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.